The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight is brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight. Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning. This is Sumner County Spotlight, and this is Jeff Shannon welcoming you into another special edition of Sumner County Spotlight. Heard it each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here at WHIN, and of course, sponsored by our friends at FM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard right here in Hendersonville and at myfmbank.com. Well, we got a guest this morning. Looks like we're going to be in the, uh, the medical topic once more. Uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Jennifer Flanagan, and she is currently serves as the president and CEO of the Salvis Center Incorporated, a 501c3 nonprofit faith-based safety net clinic providing a primary health care home for the working uninsured. Now, her areas of focus include fund and brand development program and financial planning management, community relations, advocacy, and risk management. We, we have a lot to talk about, uh, Jennifer, and welcome into the show. Yes, thank you so much for for inviting me today. I'm really honored to be here. Well, great. Uh, let's go ahead and let's let everybody know who you are and how you got to where you're at today. Well, thank you very much. I am very fortunate to currently be the president CEO of the Salva Center in Gallatin. It's an honor that was first started in 2005 by several people, Charles Bone, um, Steve Botts. We had also involved where Dr. Ted Hill was the uh, original medical director and Shelly Ames was the original executive director. Now, the CEOs of both hospitals, um, Hendersonville Medical Center and uh, some of the regional medical center were also heavily involved because it's a community collaborative event. What was determined is this. People who had primary care issues uh, were going to the emergency room for care. Two issues with that. One is that the ER is built for emergency, as we know, for their human resources, their time, their material resources. And number two, they're not built for follow-up care. It's not their, it's not their um, directive. So by opening Salvis, we were taking that one little piece of the healthcare continuum. You know, there's so many sections of that. Our section is the working uninsured. You can come have primary healthcare Make sure we have preventive care, your health and wellness address, nutrition, and keeping you healthy so that you can work and support your family. How I got there is very, very interesting to me. I'm from, I'm a native of, of Tennessee. I was actually born in Madison. My parents were high school sweethearts at Gullifle High School, which just thrills me to no end. <laughs> and I circled back when my son was born, and that was in 2003. And I really wanted to, I had been working in industry uh, through several different real estate, commercial development, residential development, in the uh, technology world for data management and data deployment. And I'd always volunteered on the other side, of, on that side of the table, the volunteer side. In fact, in San Francisco, uh, we were working with uh, the um, real the um, Real Estate Alliance for Charity that helped build the Taylor Foundation camp, a day camp for kids with HIV and AIDS. And that's really where I first got involved in significant um, fundraising, that exposure. I had some great mentors. When my son was born in 2003, I sort of flipped to the other side of the table. You know, you take home what you do in my case. And um, I really feel we all can provide back in some form, time, talent, treasure, Every dollar matters. It's not just a saying. It truly, it truly matters. So um, I was blessed with the working over at Sumner Hospice and then with the Heart Association, that opportunity and, um, and both excellent organizations. As we came about, I returned to Sumner County with the YMCA and the United Way. 
United Way of Sumner County, run now by uh, Steve DeRamus and Aaron Birch there, it just serves so many gap needs within our community. And what I learned um, materially is that let's focus on evidence-based. Let's focus on quality and metric-based. So we know that the monies donated are really coming to a measurable end. And also, let's not duplicate service. Let's, let's be collaborative. And so when this opportunity came, Shelly Ames had spoken to me about it, and um, the board was gracious enough, and I began four years ago at Salvis. Uh, I, I truly, I felt like I had inherited this wonderful, wonderful uh, foundation and established business, and our mission was to carry it forward, not to change it or morph it, but to grow it based on the ideals of which it was created. Our board has is very strong. Uh, we have members who've been around, very diverse board, 25 members, multiple committees, but very, very involved. And specifically, what's important to me in working with the donors in the community, stewarding those monies, we have two CPAs as our treasurer and past treasurer. We have people from business, from the civic community, from industry, from various volunteers, former patient, medical. We want to make sure we are making decisions representative of the community. And um, I'm just so very fortunate that I was able to um, really be honored with the offering of this position. I mean, we're in a, coming into our fourth year. The staff is fantastic. Our volunteer force is fantastic. The churches that support us, the businesses, they have such a heart. And we work with other organizations to make sure that our patients get resources they need or if somebody else needs health care, their clients need health care and we can assist. We work together in that regard to strengthen our community. And it also affects the bottom line in our community. By filling those gaps, the nonprofits in Sumner County and throughout Tennessee and the nation, but specifically here I can speak to, we really are fiduciary and we really are, we um, take to heart our 501c3 charter and we work for the benefit of our citizens and our our um, community as a whole. Now, I was just listening to you speak, and it's like the history that you have, I guess, with this and the passion you have to help people. I'm looking at some of the things that you have done. I mean, you graduated from, uh, I guess, uh, William & Mary, um, also Belmont. Uh, it goes on. You were adjunct professor at Volunteer State. Uh, you received the uh, Women Impacting the Community Award from the Hendersonville Chamber of Commerce back in 2018. Um, let's see, graduate from uh, Leadership Middle Tennessee, and uh, it, it just kind of goes on. When do you have time to, to do anything? Oh, you know, um, uh, I, I am by far not the busiest person in this county. <laughs> mean. I've just been fortunate to be able to really balance and cycle in and have the support of um, both our, my, from my position in our organization and the community because I feel it does go hand in hand. Uh, again, we must give back. Uh, we can give back, and everyone has a way they can do it. It's not all identical, and it's not all done with the same end game, but the game all comes together. Mm-hmm. So um, I've just been very fortunate. I try to do two or three, two or three things at one time. Um, Hendersonville Rotary has been very consistent over the years, and as has the leadership groups, because it's getting to know folks that you work with, that you may work with, that you might connect to each other. I do believe in paying forward. I do believe in connecting. I do believe that if you put goodwill out there to connect people who might help one another, you never know how that may come back to you. The reason to do it is because it connects those people that need to be connected. Well, we're speaking with Jennifer Flanagan. She's the executive director of the Salvis Center right here in Sumner County and a, a tremendous organization. If you could, I mean, just for the, the layperson who might not understand a lot of the technical stuff, can you break down exactly what Salvis does and what its mission is? Okay, great. Thank you. I will. I appreciate the question. Salvis basically is if you have insurance, medical insurance, then you can go to a primary care doctor and you pay a copay and they do services for you to keep you healthy or treat you when you're sick. Salvis does the same thing, exact same thing, 
except for those who work and do not have health insurance. Now, walk-in clinics and acute care clinics have a vital role in our continuum of care. We're a bit different. We strive to be your primary care. We want to be your what used to be called your family doctor. We want to know your history. We want to know how we can look at you as a whole person because our focus is your wholeness, your wellness, and your healing. That is our focus. That's our mission. That's in our mission statement is that we are committed to the biblical imperative. And again, it's spirituality to help people in need achieve wholeness, wellness, and healing. Many of our patients have chronic illness, diabetes, they have heart disease, they have um, lung disease, and they have wound, wound issues maybe because of these and other issues because of those major diseases. We are able to give a continuum, a medical plan of care we can follow and make sure our providers can make sure that our patients are moving forward for healing and so that they can live their lives with dignity and integrity. Dignity is a big part of it. That's why we have a copay based on your income statistic. I know numbers are flying out there, but 88% of our patients are at 200% of the poverty level or below. That means that you're looking at the main home income in the, in the high, mid to upper 20s. And so we base a copay based on your income. It never prohibits you from getting care. But we have found that people, one, want to contribute, and two, they also have ownership in their plan of care, even if the, if the copay is $15. We've been blessed with all of the with the hospitals in the community and a number of doctors in the community will work with our patients um, for self-pay discounted rates because they know we have a medical plan of care in place. And so I really want to give a big shout out to the medical community as well. And then the churches and our volunteer leadership across the spectrum, we have many ways people can volunteer. It's on our website as well. But that's how we thrive, that we thrive with your support, particularly during this time in this pandemic. Well, I know you have a big fundraiser that was going to be happening, but I understand you're you're having to postpone that. And that's a beautiful event. And you, I guess, raise uh, tons of money for the center as well. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. And thank you for your support in the past, by the way. Yes. And um, <laughs> attending. I, I, I hope you had a good time. Absolutely. We, uh, we do open that. We do have an annual fundraiser in April. Now, because of the distancing and, and the pandemic and the CDC regulations, of course, we're not being able to have that 300-person event. What we're going to do instead is learn from those who have switched. We had to postpone it last year, cancel it, and this year will be virtual. And we're going to learn from those who've had success, who are sharing their stories, so that we can be successful because the money raised at that event helps to fund our patient assistance program. It helps to, and we have um, metrics on our website as to what an annual donation will be. But I'll tell you right now, monthly recurring donations are really a very, very affordable, sustainable way to help the nonprofit that you support. For Salvas, for instance, if you made a donation of $10 per month, that's $120 per year, that pays for a well woman visit. If you made a donation of $50 per month or $600 per year, that pays for anesthesia for an operation someone may need. Mm -hmm. And by paying monthly, it helps a charity as well project your revenue because, you know, with grant cycles, et cetera, they go up and down. But sustainable revenue, monthly reoccurring donations, you can just put it on your credit card or if people like to send a check or if people like to write it in every month themselves, many different ways. But it does help the charity that you are supporting to sustain. Last year, our, our donors were very supportive as we went forward. And this year, they've already been very supportive. And we hope that we'll have the success um, in April that we need. Well, and there's a, a lot of things that the people have heard or not heard about the Salva Center, you know, once you go to the to their website, 
you know, the salvacecenter.org. It has everything broken down there. So if you like to volunteer, you can complete the volunteer application. If you want to donate, I'm sure it's there as well. So we want and, and really encourage folks to get involved in this organization because it truly, truly helps those in need and who really can't afford health care. And we all know uh, how crazy that is. So we're going into our first break right now. We've been talking with Jennifer Flanagan, and she is the uh, current uh, executive director and CEO of the Salvis Center. So we'll take a break. We'll talk more with Jennifer when we come back. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Okay, and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. Uh, this is Jeff Shannon. We've been talking with uh, Jennifer Flanagan. Now, she's the executive director and CEO of the Salvis Center right here in Sumner County. And it's in a tremendous organization. It really helps those individuals with that really don't have health insurance that are in need. So let's talk more with uh, Jennifer and find out uh, a little bit more how folks can donate and what the donation process is. Thank you, Jeff, very much. Yes, we're so honored um, to have that piece of the healthcare continuum for the working uninsured and, and the primary care. We want to be a family physician, family provider. The funding for that is interesting, and um, each nonprofit has their own structure. But with Salvis, the predominant um, our monies predominantly come from grants and individual and corporate donations. For instance, our four major funders, who we could not be more appreciative of their consistent and sustainable funding over the past decade, are the HCA Foundation, the Memorial Foundation, the Healing Trust, and the United Way of Sumner County. We also have individuals who've who've been donating consistently across the years, and they typically donate either at the end of the year or they donate um, at your event. We do have some who wish to remain anonymous and some who wish exposure. We do have our, you know, our platinum sponsors, um, Representative Garrett, Johnny Garrett and Kara Garrett have been a platinum sponsor for a number of years now, as have Christina and Judd Broom and um, Jake Mason with Heritage Law Firm there at Law Group. So, We've been very fortunate to have a number as um, Don Bruce with the with American Furniture. It's been um, we've just been very fortunate as we go along. Secondly, we get grants from our cities. We believe that as a community organization, we really need to show our cities how we contribute to the welfare of their citizens. The city of Gallatin, the city of Hendersonville, the city of Portland have all been uh, gracious enough to include us in their grant process. And we do, they, they ask very um, measurable evidence questions, and we do support those questions on how we help their citizens. Civic groups, such as the Rotary of Hendersonville, Rotary Club of Hendersonville, uh, churches. Uh, we, we've also had support from the Sertoma Club and the Lions Club. Our churches, such as um, the First Methodist Church in, of Gallatin and the First Methodist Church of Hendersonville, our Presbyterian Church of Christ Baptist across the board, First Baptist in Hendersonville have and, and Gallatin, have all come together. So you can see by this list of donors, no one donor is ever taken for granted. They all have their own issues and raising money during this time, and we are very grateful that they continue to see the value of keeping our working uninsured healthy and our patients with chronic illness healthy uh, so that they too may lead lives of quality and dignity. Yeah, I think if somebody wanted to, to, to really get involved with Salvis and to learn a little bit more, I guess they can get a hold of you, right? Yes, contact information, critical. Uh, our <laughs> yes. website is at uh, salviscenter.org, as you mentioned. And on that website, you can contact us. Our phone number is 615-451-0038. We have a port, we have a Facebook page that's very active where we can take questions and routinely answer questions. If you'd like to volunteer, we have various ways. We've had three, um, across the years, three to five lovely women from the First United Methodist Church in Gallatin who pre-pandemic would come into our office on a daily basis 
call our patients, remind them that we are happy to see them. We welcome mm. them to come to Salvas. A lot of our patients aren't greeted that way at times, but we want that personal touch. That relationship is key to gaining trust and getting that healthcare uh, measures done um, appropriately. So volunteering, being an ambassador in the community, uh, we have our gardens. We've developed over the last two years. I, an Eagle Scout built us, uh, Graham Broom built us our raised bed garden. We have a blessings box that Grace Riley built us as her gold award for her, her Girl Scout project. We have our shed that Judson built us as his gold award project. And we have youth groups that come and maintain those and um, the grounds, saving us hard costs. What's the point? It's not just that these young adults are being are planting seeds going forward of volunteer leadership and philanthropic giving, but it's also setting off the hard cost for the nonprofit. Every hard cost I have can get set offset by an in-kind donation or by time, talent, treasure, whatever that might be. Our groups that set up our events, our uh, doctors that help our patients with discounts, our consultants that work with us, our, um, for instance, we had our networking group, Keystone and Element 47, who used to do our website, donated um, uh, hosting for us. Everything we can offset uh, with a donation, our current group, Navarro Creative Group, discounting our and, uh, and also donating our, their first full year of services for our Facebook and social media. That helps get us our footprint. It helps our branding and awareness, which is our goes to our ultimate goal, the patient. That is always our goal. How do we help our patient? Every dollar you send, every dollar you offset, a hard cost helps us provide service, um, appointments, imaging, x-rays, MRIs, blood work, diagnostic blood work. It helps us with our cancer patients. It helps us with our pregnancy patients that, that we then can pre-going to ten care. We have to take care of them until that's certified. We want to take care of them, not have to, but they need that's expensive for them. So in an, in a different setting, Jennifer. So I was while you were talking. If a doctor or medical professional wanted to get involved with Salvis, how would they do that? Wonderful question. And um, just as Tennessee Urology with Dr. Webb and now Dr. Ramirez, they contacted Salvis. We made an arrangement, and um, now they donate their services once a month, the first Friday of each month, and deal with urology oh, issues our patients okay. have. They simply need to call me. They simply need to reach out, and we will arrange based on what they're looking for and what we need, and mutually beneficial to both make that arrangement. We are mm-hmm. very happy to do that. Good. Tell us about this safety net clinic. I know you have, you said you're, you have the only safety net clinic in Sunra County. Uh, tell us about that and how that works. Yes. Um, the safety net clinic, that is a term that's established by the legislature of the state of Tennessee. And the legislature of the state of Tennessee under Governor Bredesen decided that we need this safety net, literal safety net, so that the people who are working uninsured, and that's our piece, but it goes across mental and dental health and various forms of primary care, that they need a place to go that's not the emergency room. They can get quality health care, and they can get a sustainable medical plan of care that they can follow. So the safety net, um, you have to apply. You have to meet certain criteria. You have to demonstrate that you serve people who are in need. And then um, the funding is provided by the legislature. I will say that last year, the legislature doubled the funding from $15 million to $30 million. Mm-hmm. We understand um, working through the Tennessee Charitable Care Network, which is the, um, I'm a member of that group on the advocacy committee and formerly of the board, that we are working to make sure the safety net is heard and understood and stays uppermost of mind. This year, again, we have the $30 million in the budget, and we're hoping that we can look and see how we can help patients with that, that money. And it's allocated by a formula. It's monitored by the Tennessee Department of Health. It's very uh, reportable, accountable, and audited. 
and it's a wonderful measure for the citizens of the state. Mm-hmm. Again, because it helps people get health care who can't always get it. And in a pandemic, especially, that's critical uh, because there are other consistent chronic illnesses that do not stop for a pandemic. That's right. And need yeah. treatment. You know, I'd like, I think a lot of people really are maybe not feeling too good about themselves and having to go in and uh, they don't have insurance. They feel bad. They, they might, you know, have be a dignity kind of thing. But you all really take it to the next level and help them with that so they feel uh, proper about going in there and really taking advantage of the services and using these services. And the fact that you all are doing that for them, I think that really ups their self-esteem. Thank you, Jeff, for saying that very much. I mean, we have really focused on the fact that the dignity of the human person is very, very important. And you're absolutely right. When you're sick, you're vulnerable. When you're not feeling well, you're vulnerable. When you're working, you don't have health insurance, you're aware of that fact. And it does weigh on, on many people. We, we want to make sure from the person who answers the phone to the volunteer, receptionist to the volunteer who confirms that appointment to the provider who sees this person, anyone who touches or represents Salvus, we are very focused on the dignity of our patient. Everyone has the right to feel dignity and feel like they are, they deserve the same treatment others get in a, in a medical setting so that they can be healthy, they can be whole, they can be well. So thank you for saying that. Yes, we do try to do that in Yes, it can be very difficult for people. So that's why we start with, we're so happy to see you. We're so glad you came today and look forward to seeing you next time. Well, I think it's, you know, there's so many things involved in this when it comes to the health and people's uh, health that you have to have a lot of stories about things that have happened over the, over the course of the years and how it's helped them and how it's made them feel so much better. Thank you for asking. Yes, we do. We have... Particularly now, you know, we, we were required to switch to telehealth at the beginning of the pandemic last spring, and we've had to do that a few times through this year. But what we found is that our patients are feeling more isolation than ever. We keep hearing in the news about mental illness is increasing among all age groups, and that truly is what we've seen. So we have patients that have testified to us that having that voice, hearing that voice that someone cares about them, that answers their question, who was there for them through this time, they're not forgotten, that materially affects their well-being. Specifically, we've had a patient who, she was 51 years old, her her story is public, I may share it with her permission, and um, she had glaucoma in her eyes, both eyes. And she lost her job, her first job, because she could. She was on the pick line of a factory, and she couldn't see to do to pick up the right pieces for her position. And so she lost her job. Well, she then had another job, and we were able through the church, um, the First Methodist Church of Gallatin, and their donors supported the uh, the uh, eye surgery she needed. And they raised $2,000 for her to be able to get this. Well, she had the second job, but her eyesight still wasn't great. Lost that job, lost her home, lost her car, moved in with her brother. Uh, The Wayne Foundation uh, sponsored the second, through their foundation, the second eye surgery. And now she is back in her own apartment with a sustainable job, and she has mode of transportation. So that would not have been possible without the individual donors who contribute and care about those less fortunate or in circumstances, sometimes, many times, not of their making, that um, they, get, they need assistance. And I find that our patients give back. May I share another story? Yeah, go right ahead. We have a patient who volunteers, and we, we own our property through the great foresight of the board many years ago, um, but we have a large green space. And we have a patient with a landscaping business, and that patient mows our, our, our yard area there, probably an acre, uh, excuse me, three-quarters of an acre, for free. It just comes out and does it. We didn't ask. He volunteered, and he's been doing it for years as a way to give back. We have patients who come and bring items or food for, for our staff, or they bring items that they think others might need. 
We've had a Girl Scout, um, as I mentioned before, but that Blessings Box has grown through our prayer room. It's an 8 by 10 room that has hygiene products and canned food products. Food Line donated over 100 boxes of um, canned food, non-perishable food. Because this is a very difficult time for folks right now. So it's, it's, we're just blessed. We were able, my last story, DeMar started, again, they've given their permission. DeMar started losing his, uh, his hearing and then he started losing his vision. And over uh, the course of a year, he had been diagnosed with several different things that were not accurate. He came to our clinic. Megan Mason, Dr. Megan Mason, the neurologist, volunteers with our clinic um, as a consulting provider. And she agreed, right, you know how busy, they're always booked up, but she looked at the, the test results, the scans immediately. And because of her experience and her research knowledge, she identified a rare disease called, disease called Susak syndrome. Because of that, we were able to get DeMar, who now had a period of time where he didn't, he was now hallucinating a little bit and didn't recognize his child. We were able to get him into Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt then treated that disease because that's where the expert in that disease uh, practices. And so through those measures, he has his eyesight back. He'll always have a little ringing in his ears, but now he's able to work and the the family is very happy and now living in North Carolina. I, I cannot, I'm humbled every day by the dedication of our staff, by the integrity and the proactive attitude of our patients, absolutely by the generous selflessness of our donors in our community. Well, you know, everything that you're talking about is just amazing, and the Salvis Center really deserves your attention, folks. I'm telling you, it's it's such a great organization that helps out a, a lot of people here in our community, and we appreciate uh, Jennifer Flanagan. She's the executive director and CEO of the Salvis Center for speaking with us today and kind of, kind of opening our eyes to, to really what's needed right here in our community. And just one more time, uh, if, you know, go to the salvacenter.org. That's the website. You get all the information that you can get right there. And you can also call them at 615-451-0038. They're located in Gallatin down there in Hartsville Pike. So you, it's pretty easy to find if you want to go by there. But give Jennifer a call. She'll be glad to talk to you. And Jennifer, thank you so much for calling in today. Jeff, thank you so much. Um, I'm really I'm really honored at the invitation. Thank you. So thank listen, you. that's been another edition of Sumner County Spotlight right now. We have another guest coming up for us uh, here shortly, so we want you to stand by for that because it's going to be very interesting. We're going to be talking with Dr. John Brock. He's uh, with Vanderbilt about the new uh, clinic right here in Hendersonville. So we'll be right back after these words. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlight. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Hey, good Sunday morning, and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. We're going to continue with another amazing guest, and wait till you hear this story of what's happening right here in Hendersonville. I want to welcome to the show John Brock, MD. Now, he's uh, Monroe Carroll, Jr. He's a professor, uh, surgeon-in-chief emeritus, a senior vice president of pediatric surgical services and department of urology at Monroe Carroll, Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt. And if you saw the accolades and everything he's got here, we could be talking for days. But I want to introduce you, uh, Dr. Brock, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm great to be with you today, and uh, this is such an exciting time for us at Vanderbilt as we expand our services into the Hendersonville area. Start off, let's let everybody know who you are. I mean, I know you've, you've got great credentials here, and uh, feel free to disseminate the information so everybody knows who you are. So I am a very fortunate man. I have been very blessed to be able to pursue a, a profession that I dearly love. Uh, I grew up in North Georgia and then went to Vanderbilt undergraduate and then uh, trained uh, after medical school at Vanderbilt and, and came back and began on the uh, faculty at Vanderbilt. And I've been here full-time since 1992. I was able to start a program, pediatric urology at that time, and, and I'm proud to say my colleagues and I have risen to the heights of being one of the top five programs as evidenced by U.S. News and World Report in the country. So we've developed something really very quite special uh, over that time period. The real blessings that I have and, and continue to feel so strongly about is I have been so touched by the fact that I've been able to 
care for people's children for so many years, uh, having done this now for about 37 or 38 years. And, and that's really been the lifeblood of what I am. I've been able to help train people to do uh, what I do. I've uh, been able to uh, take care of kids uh, along the way. And, and I've also taken on roles in the last 15 to 20 years where I am helping lead some of the administrative aspects of first the children's hospital. And now I've been asked by Dr. Wright Pinson, who is the deputy CEO, to help lead out into the community. And that's part of the reason that I've been so in intimately involved in the project that's going on in Hendersonville is to try to provide some continuity around what we do uh, as we take our brand to the community. Uh, which we think is so very important. Well, I mean, you do have, you know, a illustrious career here, and I think it with all of that and, and studying, and I guess the, the pediatrics would be your passion uh, with this, but you've, you've written into a lot of publications, and have you, do you have books out there as well? I do. I've been very fortunate. I've, I've uh, with my colleagues, have published over 200 manuscripts, and as well as I would say that we probably uh, presented at four or five hundred meetings around the world on, on work that we do here at Vanderbilt. I mean, one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand about a place like uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center is uh, we, we really have a mission which starts with caring for the patient and, and, and in my instance, the child. Mm -hmm. But but to do that, we have a, a real sense of discovery, and that means we're trying to always push the envelope to make sure that we're doing the very best for people going forward. And, and I think it's really important for your listeners or anyone else to understand why that's so very important is because it is places like Vanderbilt that allow us to forge a way into the, in, into the new treatments. I mean, uh, good gracious, we're living in an amazing time right now. And I am very proud to say that one of my close colleagues here at Vanderbilt was instrumental in developing the drug called remdesivir, mm -hmm. uh, with all, which all of you, I'm sure, have probably heard of now because of what's happened with respect to COVID. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, the discovery aspect, uh, along with the education of our next generation, and tremendous sidelight uh, to caring for the, the patients and families that we, that we do. It is that important to the future of healthcare that we that we provide places like this, and that's why it's been such a pleasure every morning <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning to roll out of bed and and head to work, although I'm not sure my wife would say that. Mm -hmm, but yes. uh, we ha have uh, lived a life that is very, very special because of uh, the passion that we that, that we in this in this building and in this, in this organization feel. Sure. Well, you know, children are very special, and, you know, I've always it, it enjoyed children and you know their their brains are like sponges and how you can mold them and how they learn from you but your passion for pediatrics is is, is very special and how do you think the change in pediatrics uh, is what kind of changes are we expecting really well i think there are a lot a lot of things that are happening and and again monroe carroll uh, junior children's hospital at vanderbilt has been a a leader in taking care of kids and, and a lot of special attention. And this is certainly not my expertise, but my colleagues would tell you that the special attention to the emotional well-being of, of kids and how, how important that is in the whole as we look to care for the child as a whole. Uh, we also we also recognize, and I am old enough to recognize the imperative nature of children being different than adults. And that's why we are so passionate at Monroe Carroll that kids should be cared for uh, at a children's hospital and by people who are specialists in children's hospitals. That is, that is uh, in no uh, way to denigrate anyone who does adult medicine. It's just the fact that we do things differently. We think, think of things differently. We have all types of programs at the children's hospital that, that support the child and the family. I mean, for one that we're very proud of is a tremendous uh, program in what we call child life, where we help the families and the children 
navigate the very difficult nature of being part of something that's very scary. And we have uh, uh, great people such as Janet Cross who who lead our program in that and and really is a a world leader in in making those type of things work. And and, and frankly, uh, one of the things that I think is really uh, impressive is a lot of our adult colleagues have taken a lot of lead from what we've done in children and realized a lot of what we do in kids is not so bad for adults either. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) you know, we have spent a lot of time making sure that the experience the experience for the family is really important. And, and we have learned over the many years of doing this, and I'll speak for myself in this, how important it is to listen and how important it is to not just care for the child, but to care for the mom and dad and the, and the siblings who, who are, uh, who are part of this uh, entity. I mean, I, I, I go back all the way to my residency days and, and, and and I have a specific patient that, that is completely etched in my memory of uh, the child who was quite ill in the family and and the mom and dad carrying the child to the emergency room with me there waiting on them and having and having all the other siblings in a, in a row walking in behind the, the family and I, that that image of everybody being affected by that by that ill child has always driven me to try to understand how I can impact the entire family unit. And I think that's really important mm-hmm. for uh, adult health care as well. I mean, you know, when if your wife is sick, uh, the husband is not doing so well. If the husband is sick, the wife is not well. And 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 on and on and on and and I think that's something we've really learned is that the uh, the personal touch that is necessary in in making healthcare special. Well, and I, I, th- I think a lot of psychology has to go in when you're dealing with children, you know, because they're scared. You have all of these programs in place, and I know the training that you have to do to kind of get them off of the topic and not make it such a scary thing. So there's a lot of fun things they can do. And um, what are some of those things? Because I think a lot of parents are very concerned. They, gosh, I'm going into a hospital. I'm going to this big place. The kids are going to be even more scared. So what are some of the things that, that you have in place that would help ease the tensions on the children? So, so I spoke a moment ago about child life. And one of the mm-hmm. especially, for example, I, I have led the surgery program uh, at the Children's Hospital for the last 17 or 18 years, and and our child life people, for every child that comes in to have to have surgery, they actually meet with the children that day and go through a little bit of what we call medical play, where they they show them what it's going to be like to, to mm-hmm. have an IV. They just show them what it's like to have to have a mask to go to sleep. They talk them through things with with diagrams and with games and toys to try and let them understand what they're getting into. I, I think that in the old days, people would try to hide things from the kids until the, until the very end. And, and that's just, that, that clearly is not the way you want to manage uh, children. And, and we are very attuned to the experience that they have. And one of the really interesting things about this is through some of the studies that we've done, we've been able to eliminate a lot of the pre-medications that are necessary okay. for children going to the operating room simply because of our, our teams have been able to, to allay their fears uh, and make the, the child's experience and the family experience very palatable and not so, not so scary. Cause sure. I mean, let's be, let's be clear. It's a scary place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. It's, it's the world I live in. It's the world I uh, walk every day. But, but it's a scary place to a child and a parent. And, you know, it, as, as a parent myself and, and, and a grandparent as well, uh, I really get the fact that uh, this, is, uh, this is my arena and it is not their arena. And we have to understand uh, that very much in order to make this a, a, an experience that is not so, not so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess your specialty has been in urology, uh, pediatric urology. So uh, what are some of the the things that parents maybe should look for if uh, a child is having an issue in that regard? And 
So, so, so my specialty in pediatric urology is a specialty that deals with a lot of uh, prenatal diagnoses. Mm-hmm. In other words, a lot of the uh, children are born with kidney or bladder abnormalities, mm-hmm. and 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 the the sophistication of what we do now is such that a lot of those things are diagnosed prenatally. Wow. And so, uh, one of the things that my colleagues and I do, and, and not infrequent basis, is to meet with moms and dads of who are expecting, who, who have had an ultrasound, and and they have been found for their fetus to have an abnormality, and, and they're frightened to death, for sure. lack of a better term. Yeah. And, and yet, uh, it is our job to allay their fears, to give them the facts about what, they, what, their, what their unborn baby uh, can expect, and then uh, certainly postnatally uh, deal with their problems uh, as is necessary. So, so we deal with kids, as I said, Prior to birth, all the way up to eighteen, and mm-hmm. and and really, it's a large swath of uh, congenital abnormalities to to voiding uh, problems in, in children that that we manage, to nerve problems with respect to bladder and kidneys, and how we manage those things. I mean, one of the things that I've been very involved with over my career is is I was the principal investigator at Vanderbilt for something called the MOMS trial, which is the management of myelomeningocele uh, prior to birth. And myelomeningocele is where children are born with a the lower portion of the spinal cord actually being exposed, and they're born with bladder and bowel dysfunction as well as problems with, with their extremities and their nerves. And so we have been uh, involved in a program since the early 90s in dealing with those those children in an unborn fashion, mm-hmm. i.e. we deal with them prior to birth. And one of my colleagues uh, who is uh, who is uh, now deceased uh, pioneered uh, surgery in, in the womb to to help close those defects and hopefully improve the outcomes of, of those kids long term. Sure. Uh, my colleague Jay Wellens has continued that uh, in utero surgery and, and we and I have been responsible for helping collect the, the data uh, over these past many years along with uh, University of uh, San Francisco as well as uh, Philadelphia mm-hmm. to uh, collate and put together one of the landmark studies in, in pediatric urology and pediatric neurosurgery wow. around closure of these type of things. So so we, we have a very fascinating group of patients that we have dealt with, and we've made some real significant strides in those children and for those families through this very uh, innovative work that my colleague Noel Tulipan uh, invented, if you will, uh, back in the early 90s. Wow. Well, we're going into our break right now, and when we come back, of course, we've been talking with Dr. John Brock, MD with Vanderbilt, and we're going to be talking about the new um, multi-specialty facility that's going to be offering adult outpatient specialty care, along with some limited pediatric specialty care and imaging services right here in Hendersonville. So we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbag.com. Welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. This is Jeff Shannon. And we've been having a, a quite interesting conversation with Dr. John Brock, MDs with Vanderbilt. And uh, he's kind of heading up the new facility uh, here coming to Hendersonville. And many of you have seen the build going on right next to Lowe's there. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's just, you know, ultra modern. It's very welcoming, very, uh, it's beautiful. It's a great addition to Hendersonville. And uh, Dr. Brock, tell us about some of the history of why this facility was brought to Hendersonville. Well, right, Jeff, first of all, we, we, as I'm sure your listeners know and you know as well, Vanderbilt has had a long-standing commitment to Sumner County and to, and to the Hendersonville area, and, and this is just an extension of that. But, but I will go, I'll back up just a little bit and, and share with you I mean, something that's very near and dear to all of us uh, at, at Vanderbilt, and it really uh, comes from the very top, Dr. Jeff Balzer and Dr. Wright Pinson. And that is what we uh, term as personalized medicine. Personalized medicine means a lot of things to a lot of people, but to us, 
it, it means trying to make it give an experience to our patients and families that is really personal for them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've learned in healthcare over the last many years is it's really important to take your brand to the consumer and to to the families uh, out there and make it easier uh, for them to access our care. I think it's really important as well, though, is, is that people understand when we do this, we do this with the same quality physicians, nurses, physical therapists, radiologists that we have here on site. These are people who meet our standards and are really going to your community uh, to, again, uh, provide easier access to our to our what I would consider a very special brand of medicine. So the new facility uh, going up, what was the, I guess, the, the, the vision they had? Like, okay, we're, get, we're, we're coming to Hendersonville. What, what made that happen? Well, I mean, part of it is, is the growing area. And so, mm-hmm. but, so we wanted to, to grow our footprint in that region as well. And what we've done with the Hendersonville building is that we've uh, co-located some of the people we have that, but we've added specialties as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to expand our pediatric footprint. Obviously, I've uh, said in uh, previous aspects of this uh, interview that that's a special thing for me, but we're uh, increasing our uh, pediatric foot- footprint under the leadership of Dr. Steve Weber, uh, who's the chair of pediatrics. Uh, we're expanding women's health uh, under the leadership of uh, Dr. Ronnie Alvarez, which we're very excited about. And, and we're also consolidating both adult and pediatric orthopedics uh, in in this building uh, as well. In addition, we'll have adult primary care and and a, and a walk-in clinic, which especially which has been utilized so significantly during this, especially during this this COVID time. Mm-hmm. Rheumatology, which has become quite a an, an amazing specialty with all the the new and, and advanced treatments that are out there. But one thing we're really excited about for this building is uh, is what we call the infusion clinic. And a lot of the newer medicines that are utilized in, in rheumatology require uh, intermittent infusions. And uh, for those of you who have had to sit in a, an uncomfortable chair and and have an IV for hours on end and endure that, we're very excited about the the portion of this building that has been dedicated uh, to those patients and to their experience as well. Mm -hmm. Plus, we're also going to have imaging uh, with CT scanners, uh, x-ray capability, and ultrasound. And it really is a significant commitment uh, of staff and personnel to uh, the Hendersonville Arena. I, I think it's important to know we're going to have at least 55 staff, both clinical and non-clinical, mm-hmm. that will be hiring or, or already hired to help staff this this facility as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Hendersonville ranks as Tennessee's 10th largest city, and you probably already know that. But th- we saw a population increase of approximately 12% between 2010 and 2018. And, of course, that's coming even, even more. Uh, we're going to have more folks in here. So in determining what kind of services you would offer at a, a clinic, do you know what kind of services are needed for that community and that growing community? How would you uh, determine that? That's, that's a great question. Yes, we don't do anything at Vanderbilt without data. And we have an incredible data team that actually looks at the demographics and, and not only the population growth that you that you identified, but also, uh, you know, all aspects of those demographics. And we clearly target a lot of what we do to help meet the needs of your community. Clearly, uh, things such as women's health uh, is such a, a, a major need and with some of the subspecialties and complexities that come out of uh, out of that that is clearly a targeted area so mm-hmm. so yes we we make our decisions on where we place these type of facilities based on what the uh, population demographics look like 
and we place the specialties uh, to match that. Well, and, you know, the, I, the first thing that comes to mind, and that when I saw this facility going up, and the, I guess, and this is probably everybody's doing the same thing, first thing you think, oh, thank you, I don't have to drive all the way downtown to, <laughs> to go to services. And it's like, well, okay, well, they have some things we might not be able to have to go downtown for. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly right, Jeff. It, it's really interesting, you know. Of all the years I've been housed here at Vanderbilt, uh, and I have had so many wonderful patients who've driven to me, for, see me from hours away. The one thing they love about what coming to see me is the parking, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just kidding. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah. so this is something that's really so advantageous. The the simplicity on being seen in a uh, in an area where you can uh, park in the parking lot and walk in the front door in a in a one one. Uh, story building. I mean, there is no question that that is uh, something that's advantageous. We've actually stood up a facility like this, exactly like this, in Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. which I was instrumental in putting together as well. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you were to drive by it in Murfreesboro and then drive by Hendersonville, you'd have a hard time uh, uh, distinguishing which one's which because sure. they're built on the same design with some different with some different specialties and so, so forth. But the building is close to being the same. So, yes, absolutely. You're still going to have to come to Vanderbilt for some very, Mm -hmm. very special things, but we're doing everything we possibly Mm -hmm. can to make it easier for you to walk out your door, come get your personalized care with your physician or subspecialist, and then go back home in an easy fashion. Well, that's great. I mean, it, I think people like convenience. I mean, I think we've been spoiled with all of these things. Now they're pretty soon, I guess we're going to have um, air transports to go downtown Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, not, 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 not the air flight. We don't want to, we don't want to go that, but <laughs> this place is, is really, you're going to have 40 exam rooms. You got urgent care services, imaging capabilities, um, like CT, ultrasound, and x-ray. So would that work that somebody can come here versus going downtown if they needed one of these uh, kind of services? A- absolutely. So, so let, let's, just, let's just run through. Let's say a patient has an orthopedic problem. Let's say that, uh, a, a child is a young person's out play, being the weekend warrior and, mm-hmm. and they hurt their knee. Well, they can see our tremendous orthopedist on, uh, in the clinic there uh, and get the x-rays that are necessary. And, and if they were to have to have a procedure, they'll have to have it done uh, in a different location. Mm-hmm. But they can get all their diagnostic entities done in that location and go from there. We, we are not going to have MRI at this point in time, mm-hmm. uh, but, but that will come at some point in the future. But, but reality is uh, they will be able to receive their uh, initial care. And, and let's just say they don't need surgery. And they need physical therapy. Well, then that can be apportioned uh, after that visit as well. So, sure. yes, it'll, it'll keep you from having to come to Vanderbilt for a routine visit. Sure. Well, you know, uh, some growth projections show that the population here in Sumner County is probably going to increase by 45% by 2035. And I noticed that around the new facility here, you have extra land. Is there a grounds for expansion possibly? So I'm, I'm, uh, you can't see this because we're uh, <laughs> apart right now, but I'm smiling because people always ask me, why do we buy so much land? And I'm going to give credit to my dear departed colleague, Luke Gregory, <laughs> who used to say, and, and he's right, Vanderbilt thinks in hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And so when we buy property, we buy uh, plenty of property uh, to be able to, to make a decision uh, at some point in the future. Sure. The reality is there is nothing uh, planned for that right now, but but we do want to hold open the option if that if that ends up being something we need to do uh, for the future. Uh, sure. Believe me, Jeff, there is, it is not lost on any of us that the, the Sumner region is growing uh, logarithmically and and we want to keep abreast of that. Having that foresight, I think, is very important, and that's that's great that they're doing that because uh, land is left available here in Hendersonville uh, won't be around long if there's any any left. So, you know, having that projection and that foresight, I think, is is very commendable. Uh, you got a plan. That's that's what it's all about because this facility is is going to be fabulous. Now, when do you expect it actually to open? Uh, it, it'll be sometime this spring. I, I'd love to give you an exact date, but as you well know. Things are mm-hmm. always a moving target when you're doing such a big project, but but we're not far away, and so my stock answer is going to be 
uh, this spring sometime, and I think that's definitely going to happen. I just don't know. Uh, I can't give you an exact date yet. Okay. Well, you know, there's a great uh, a great building there. It's going to have great services. We've got state-of-the-art equipment. You have world-class employees and doctors and nurses and the whole staff uh, is super trained. So it's going to be a great facility that I think the, the folks here in Hendersonville and Sumner County are going to love and, and really benefit from that. And when it does open, it's going to be a big deal. I can tell you that. And uh, the Chamber of Commerce are going to be involved in that with you. And they're going to help you celebrate this project and, and get it publicized. And we're here for you as well. And, uh, you know, we want to let everybody know that this is, is available and hope you'll come back on the show at some point and uh, you know after we get we get this thing open and get it up and running and uh, give it some great publicity Jeff I, I just want to tell you thank I want to tell you thank you so much for allowing me to spend some time with you mm-hmm. this morning I, I, I also want to have your listeners know we at Vanderbilt are really committed to being part of your community uh, we think it is really important and I can't tell you the the warm welcome we have received from the the community leaders from the mayor to the to the chamber of commerce and so forth uh, about what we are doing but but it is very important to, to uh, us at Vanderbilt to know that we want to be a good citizen in your community and and help uh, grow the uh, the uh, footprint of what happens uh, for Hendersonville so thank you again so much for allowing me to visit with you today Thank you. Well, we've been talking with Dr. John Brock, a medical doctor at Vanderbilt. And listen, we, we so appreciate Vanderbilt for their services to, to our community and, and bringing this great facility here. So uh, we look forward to its opening and we cannot wait. That's for sure. Uh, this is Jeff Shannon, and that's going to wrap up this edition of Sumner County Spotlight, heard each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And for all of you podcast folks, you want to listen to it afterwards, you can go to our website at whinradio.com. There's a podcast tab up there. All you do is click on it, go down to Summer County Spotlight, and you will see the uh, the podcast right there uh, for your enjoyment. So thank you so much for doing that. This is Jeff Shannon. This is Summer County Spotlight, and we'll see you next week. Summer County Spotlight on 100.7 WHIN 1010 AM has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, a home mortgage, or considering refinancing your home, FNM Bank will provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. Listening. 